You're listening to a special version of the Inside Myanmar podcast, covering the military coup and the ensuing protest movement that has developed. During this crisis, we're ramping up the production of not only podcast episodes, but also our blog and other social media platforms. So we invite you to check these out as well. All the other projects that had been in progress prior to February have since been paused indefinitely to focus entirely on this emergency. But for now, let's get into our show. is a continuation of our current events as we cover the events happening in Myanmar at the moment. And I have with me two special guests that are covering a particularly unique angle of the protests, memes of all things. So I have with me Brad and May, <laughs> and that's all I want to say. And these are not their real names that we're using pseudonyms for, for safety. So, um, but nonetheless, uh, Brad and May, I welcome the two of you. So, yeah, let's get into this. Uh, this is quite interesting. Uh, I think the whole phenomenon of memes in the first place is interesting. And then I think it's quite peculiar and particular and fascinating in the creative ways memes are being used in the protests at the moment. So, But maybe we could start with, um, May, like, what are your ideas on, what, what do you think a meme is? Like, I mean, I think everyone has seen memes before, but like, what is a meme to you and, and, and what role does it play in general in culture, do you think, especially for the generation that's really you know, engaged in, in social media? Absolutely. Um, so a meme for me is something that would possibly portray um, something that's funny, obviously, but also something that would make fun of a situation that's um, possibly very absurd. Um, we're the generation that has grown up with internet and social media, and memes are a way to communicate with each other, to share um, not just jokes, but also feelings. And the Burmese community has almost made memes for almost any situations. So yeah, memes are perhaps a symbol of what our generation is. It's interesting that often there'll be an image and, and the words that go with it are, are often not from that same image or, or category, right? They'll just throw in, often it can be a sarcastic remark or something funny and, and it's the expression on the character's face. There's that immediate recognition of the character and the context and, and often there's something funny in about like what they're saying and versus who they are. And then often there's even another meaning about the whole package together in the context of where the meme's being dropped into the conversation or the, or the chat or the thread or whatever it might be. 
And May, you're saying in Myanmar culture, that it's quite it's quite a popular phenomenon, quite deeply woven into the the younger generation's culture. Is that right? Yes, definitely. Um, ever since I've been on social media, um, we have this um, Facebook groups where people would make memes about anything that was happening. Um, would there be an advertisement that was particularly funny and that sort of reminded them of something, they would make a meme out of that or an actress doing something controversial and they would make a meme out of that. I think we tend to share whatever is happening and it's really, really interesting how an image or a short clip of video have a lot of meaning behind it and how just a glance towards us could um, explain all of that. Right, right. It's not just an expression of feeling like something like an emoticon. It says actually quite a bit more than that. And it also seems to target a certain group of people that, that have this, like you guys have said, this shared common experience. Well, another place that we all share, we all share a common experience is we all have a different relationship with, with but we have all have a relationship with Myanmar. I mean, May obviously you you live there and uh, um, and so the current events are actually quite heartbreaking. But I would like to hear from you, like how how you know, like when it first came out, how did it affect you? And, and uh, yeah, how did how does it sit with you? What 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 arose? Like it's been really exhausting. I guess that's the only valid word that I could use to describe how I've been feeling. Um, I was shocked, but I wasn't exactly shocked because perhaps, perhaps I've been expecting it. Right. But it's, I've been angry. I've been frustrated. Um, there is this sort of will inside me to just go out and scream and just, um, just dispose the military. Um, it's a very hard feeling to describe, but it arose this feeling inside me that I didn't know existed. Perhaps it's the nationalism, perhaps it's patriotism, but I do not know what it is, but I've been ignited inside. Right. I think, I think it's definitely something I can't relate to. I, I don't. I think when you explain things, I kind of can, I can kind of touch into it, but I've never lived in, I've never lived under a dictatorship. I've never gone from that to freedom and then, and then have that being at risk of being all lost again. I can't really imagine. I can kind of try to imagine what that feels like, but what's the, the response to response to it from like several generations is like, not that this is just unacceptable, but, we cannot go back to that. And what I mean by cannot go back to that, not just as a stance, but like people would rather, some people would rather die than go back to what was before. And people are actually saying that like verbally and showing it like, like so it seems like every time the, the army pushes, uh, they push back, I- including even after uh, people have died, that it's not having the effect the army hoped it would have and 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 the people are stating even stronger the more you heard it's like i will not go back to what was before and uh, i just wonder like 
what do you feel in that? And like, what sense of that arises in you? And, and uh, yeah, if, if you can speak to that in any way. Absolutely. Um, when I said there is something that's ignited inside of me, it's that feeling, that feeling of this cannot happen and that I would do anything for this country. I never viewed myself as nationalistic or I've never viewed myself as a patriot, uh, as a patriot but I wouldn't want to see my country in shackles again. And if I would have to die tomorrow to achieve that, if I do have, like, if it's for certain that it's going to happen, I would not be afraid to die. But that's the, I do also know that that's something that that's just not my personal feelings. I know that a lot of people feel the same way. We've seen how we've been pulled back from society. We've been economically damaged. We've been put into shackles. I think with the younger generation, we spent half of our life under the dictatorship and the other half in a pseudo-democracy. So I think the contrast for us is very stark and this sort of ignite a lot of extreme feelings inside us. And so the, the contrast is quite stark for you guys. You know, like it's, it's, it's half of this and half of that. So it's, it, it's, you're saying it hits you guys quite strong and you guys have had absolutely a, a big percentage absolutely. of your life in this, you said pseudo democracy, right? And I think that's honest. It's, it wasn't perfect. And, and, and the military actually still held quite a bit of power there yet. There's still an obvious, Obviously, there was a difference between that and and this, or at least if there's not a difference, it's it's clear that this is the opposite direction. So, um, yeah, what is it about that? You know, like how is it the same or different between your generation and other generations? I do see a lot of other generations, even if they participate in different ways, they seem to be just as adamant. I've seen p- memes and pictures of old people saying. I will die right here and now if the UN needs a body count in order to get involved. I will sacrifice my life right here. I refuse to go back. This is from a 60 to 70 year old. So what do you have to say about like the cooperation between and the different feelings? The feelings might not be exactly the same from generation to generation, but what is the shared sense, do you think, in the in the population in general? I think the shared sense would be that it's something that we always say, which is a year won't me, which basically means the revolution must win, the revolution must be as, must be successful. I think that's the inane most like shared feelings among um, different generations. I think I cannot speak for other generations, but I do believe a lot of us do share a lot of um, the same feelings that we will resist against the coup and we will resist against the military rule. And you mentioned the word patriot, which in a lot of places, in a lot of countries, you know, the government and the military and they kind of act 
often in unison and patriotism means to support both. And here you're making a clear delineation between, you know, the being a patriot for the country and not including the, the army and the coup in that, in this particular instance. When I say patriotic, I do not stand for the government. I'm standing for the people. I'm standing for the country. And I think this is the sense that I haven't, like I just recently discovered in myself, a feeling of loving the people of your country and loving your country so much that it physically hurts. I think it's the sense of, oh no, we're going back to this again. When you've sort of um, had high hopes about everything. Um, I think the day the coup happened, I felt like my future was stolen. I had hoped that maybe perhaps we're moving towards a federal democratic country and things would be fine in a few decades, but I think we've basically stepped back a lot more decades back than we'll be going forward. It just makes so much sense at a heart level. freedom and all the hope they're trying to pull out from under you, the whole country, all the people. And I think it's really fascinating to call that, you know, to say patriotism at this moment is standing up for the, the mass population and the mass population is at war with their own government or the people that are claiming government the real government that was elected is it still exists it's just it's in, in being incarcerated right now absolutely i think it's the sense of getting your voices ripped out and basically you do not have freedom from fear anymore you live in fear and that's where it hurts the most that you will have to live in fear for the rest of your life. You will have to be fearful of what's going to happen to you. You cannot really speak out. You cannot really do anything. I think that's the sense of frustration and loss that I've experienced that I can personally talk about. Well, what's fascinating is there is at the same time, I mean, you're, you're the second guest I've talked to today that has expressed that exact thing, the, the fear, the fear being present in our lives, coming back, um, that we don't want to live with this. And there's also, though, at the same time, anyone that's following what's going on, there's a whole lot of courage. So do you think there's a relationship between that loss of freedom, the risal of fear, and then like, where's that courage coming from? What do you think? For me personally, I think the courage comes from my, as I've mentioned, my patriotism, my love 
for the people in the country and that I feel responsible for at least helping the country. And it also comes from this idea of we have nothing more to lose, that would we rather sacrifice this or live all our lives and the future generations under this. We're doing this for the future generation as well. Let us be the last generation to have lived under military dictatorship and know what it felt like. Let our kids and grandchildren that we will have not That's suffer right. under this as well. And Brad, you also have a relationship with Myanmar, and so this is affecting you as well. And I, I'd like to hear a little background on, on your relationship with Myanmar. Um, so I actually, uh, for most of my life, I, I didn't even know that the country existed, uh, to be completely honest, like a lot of uh, foreigners don't really think about it. And I, I took a, a Burmese language course many, many years ago at university, um, just you know, out of interest and out of curiosity. And, and I found it fascinating. Actually, the, uh, the person who taught me uh, is, uh, is now studying uh, Burmese politics in, in reasonably high levels of academia now. So we, we didn't just get the language education, we also got the cultural context and the history of it. And I, I, I just found the, the stories I was hearing really fascinating and really interesting. And the country just sort of stayed in the back of my mind, and uh, I, you know, I didn't, I didn't have any super serious plans to ever visit. But then, years went by. I was doing study. I was finishing up a, a, a postgraduate qualification, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do with with my life. And and uh, I sort of uh, ended one thing that that didn't go uh, particularly well. And uh, I was sort of standing around one day at university. I just made an offhanded comment to someone saying, well, you know, if, if you know anyone who's offering positions in Burma, um, you know, why not? And someone seriously turned to me and said, I do. I, I do actually know someone who's starting a business there and, uh, and she's in the city right now and we can set up a meeting and do that. And, and I met with this woman and she seemed nice and, and trustworthy and and she started saying, well, you know, if you want to come, you can come for three months, you can come for six months, we can we can work something out, you can work for us. And I thought, okay, that's kind of could be cool, could be interesting. But, you know, I, I went on a I went on a trip elsewhere and uh something that I was I was planning and something that really had my heart uh set on uh, failed phenomenally. And and so I, I found myself, you know, in a really sort of low point. And uh, I was talking with this Burmese woman who was offering me this job. And I just thought, you know what, you know, what reason do I have not to take this opportunity right now? And, and I said, look, I, I really don't particularly care what the pay is. I really don't. She was going to give me accommodation. She was going to give me, you know, support staff who could help me and translate things. So she, she was giving me a very generous um, network, not, not just money. The money was not great, but the network, the support that she was offering was really generous. And I thought that's that's a really good thing for me to do right now. And I went for, for three months. This was a number of years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I spent about three years in the country on and off. Um, I've been out of the country for, for you know, a while now, but I've still maintained my, my connections with, uh, with my friends 
in Yangon, both uh, Burmese and, and expats. Um, and, uh, you know, my work relationships and, and I have a girlfriend there and uh, I, my life is effectively there, you know. Uh, I'm not there now, but I was planning to go back and then COVID hit. So, well, okay, we can't go back because of COVID. And then it wasn't COVID, it's there are no flights. And now the coup has happened and I don't know when I'm going to be able to return. And it's very distressing to me to be outside of the country and seeing my friends who are there sending me these posts and sending me these messages of, you know, the Facebook video live feeds of the police, you know, just randomly firing at crowds or, or opening fire at night in, in dark alleyways and breaking down doors and dragging old women off to, to prison or indiscriminately beating up, you know, children and things like that. It, it's horrendous. And I think a lot of the expat community who, for whatever reason, are not in the country right now, have this sense of almost a sense of, I would call it survivor's guilt, this, this sort of sickening feeling that you can't do anything, you can't help in any, in any measurable way. But at the same time, you're, you're seeing it like this is, this is not like, you know, if we're, if we're watching uh, footage coming from a country that we don't have any connection to, and we say, oh, that's so terrible. That's awful. I hope something happens to fix it. It's different when it's friends of yours crying on the phone saying, you know, they they burst into the apartment next to ours and they dragged somebody off and we don't know where they are now. Or saying like, oh my God, you know, I've, I've spent all day watching the footage of, of people, you know, being shot down in the street and, and, and they can't handle it, they can't take it. Like you feel like you want to be there, you want to find some way to, to help and connect with it, but you're not because you're far away and you're safe and it feels inherently wrong somehow. Mm. Right. And then... Somehow, though, the two of you did come together and, and do something about it. And, and so uh, it obviously affects us all. And, and the two of you have actually decided to put a very interesting uh, Facebook uh, page together. And mm. uh, the theme is around the, the memes of the protests. And perhaps you could actually say the, the name of it and, and then talk. Uh, I'd like to hear from both of you about like what how you came up with the idea and why you, what it is that's important about it and why you, you know, what role it plays you think in, uh, um, in the protest movement and why it's important to, to share those uh, in, in, to who, whichever audiences to other Myanmar people or to the people outside of Myanmar looking in and following. Um, I, th I think it's, it's fascinating. I looked at your page and uh, I'm just, Stepping back just a second, I, I'm just amazed at how, I mean, I have this gut feeling of, of the, the gravity of the situation and at the same time, the, not just the courage of the kids. I, I think there's, a, there's a, a general way to go about protesting and strikes that we all kind of expect. And, and in addition to all of that, it's a nonviolent movement. We've seen that before in the world and I, I think people are inspired by that. In addition to that, there's a, a lot of creativity in, in the, I mean, there's just a, an evolution and a new way of, of adding uh, the next generation of, of creativity towards a protest, towards, and this is the real deal. This isn't just, hey, we want to change a law here and there. This is like the, the whole country's at stake and, and 
and standing up against the army is like putting lives at stake. And in the face of all that, there's been so much creativity, including these memes. But anyways, I'd like to hear about how how this idea to put this page together came about and why you think it's important and what you think these in general, what these memes say, what roles they play. Um, so I, I think I'll, I'll start on that one um, just because I, so I, I actually started the page uh, by myself originally and, um, and me joined uh, not, not too much longer after that. Uh, recommended by a mutual friend of ours, um, who who knew that you know she had she had a very valuable skill set with regard to that, which uh, which I do not. Um, so so okay, so the page that we have the the full name of the page because I was not going for anything particularly subtle or catchy uh, is pro uh, sorry Burmese protest memes and signs translated and explained. But if you if you search for the handle, it's just at Burmese.protest.memes. Um, so I started that would have been, I think officially Facebook recorded the first post as going up on the 19th of February, uh, something like that. I, I started, yeah, I started on like Thursday night, the 18th, but it was already Friday morning by the time I posted. So the, the page has not been online particularly long, uh, in, in all honesty, it's, it's been, what is that a week and a half now? And it, it's grown reasonably Quickly, the the idea actually came from one of the first memes that uh, that was published. Um, you know, I had a lot of Burmese friends, and 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 I had my girlfriend translating a lot of memes that I was seeing. I was seeing all these really interesting signs, and there's a there's actually a page called uh, Subtle Burmese Dating, uh, which is a sort of sort of like Tinder, but not like Tinder. It's a Facebook page for for meeting people, uh, but a lot of memes in there as well. And, uh, and I happened to be a member of the page. So I was seeing a lot of memes coming through that page and I, I happened to be a member of a lot of other Burmese pages. So I saw these really funny memes and, and signs that everyone was laughing at and everyone was having a good time. And, and with my very primitive Burmese, I was able to pick out some bits. I was, I was able to get maybe the gist of it, but I couldn't understand the joke. Right. And so I had to have, um, other people translate and explain it to me. And simultaneously, uh, when I was online, I saw some people, Western people, who criticized the English language signs that the Burmese protesters were using. Uh, and this is something I saw multiple times, where they said, well, this, this sign is in English. Therefore, it's either photoshopped or it's been staged in some way, shape or form. They were saying, well, the, either the Burmese being Asians don't know English, which is a, is a phenomenal misunderstanding of history, but whatever. Or alternatively, they were saying, well, why would the Burmese people protesting against the Burmese military be protesting in the English language? Clearly, it must be fake. And, and I thought, you know, I responded in a couple of cases saying it's not fake, but you don't see the Burmese content, which is, which is plentiful and is far more innovative and interesting than the English language content. But you don't see it because media companies aren't going to pick it up because who would click on that? You don't know what it says. It's not shocking. It's not vibrant. So... The whole idea came from uh, one of the first posts we made, which was the husband and wife uh, roads. And there were a series of protest signs that uh, long haul truckers had painted on the sides of their trucks. And one of them literally translated to, I don't want to go back to driving on husband and wife pan roads. And, and that was absolutely nonsensical. And so my girlfriend had to explain to me that 
Well, first of all, husband and wife is actually the name of a snack that's made of two halves of dough fused together. And yeah, so so there's a sort of dimpled type of pan to, to a Westerner, like it would be similar to the little Dutch uh, pofertje pancakes that people are familiar with, made of hemispheres. And so to to Burmese speakers, it, it was immediately obvious what a husband and wife pan is. It's it's the dimpled iron pan that you make this snack in. And, and saying husband and wife pan road immediately put people in mind of roads ah. so riddled with potholes that they, they look like a dimpled iron pan that you would make for street food. Immediately obvious to the Burmese, even though this is not an existing idiom, this is just a new phrase that this trucker had designed to express his his concerns as obviously someone who drives a lot. But to me as also, an outsider, yeah. It also it also is basically saying that like when the when the military is in charge, they don't use any of the money that they make as a government to to pay for the needs of the people, like like the quality of the roads. And, Absolutely. And I lots mean, of and lots of other things as well. So in that little statement, it's just if you unpack it, it it says so much, right? Well, that because that goes back to what I was saying about memes. It's it's taking things from the past that we all experienced and we all remembered, and it's it's right. wrapping up in a package with something from from the modern era. So so to the Burmese people, it was like, well, yes, obviously we all remember that that the funds set aside for road maintenance were routinely, um, you know, skimmed by the military for lining their own pockets or whatever the case may be, and and it's just an in joke at this point that the roads were in horrendous, dangerous condition under the military. And, uh, and I do remember actually uh, being up towards the center of the country uh, in the dry region and uh, the huge support for the NLD in that region. And uh, I remember like talking to the taxi driver and one of the things he said was, well, since the NLD have been elected, they've been building roads and they've been paving roads. And that was something that was very important to them, very significant to them and, and a very visible sign of, oh, look, a government actually investing in infrastructure. What a shocking concept. Right. I like this. Um, right. despite any other problems that they may have had with the government, it was a, it was a thing that they were really, really, really appreciative of. So to the Burmese audience, not only did they understand the imagery, not only did they understand what that snack is, not only did they understand, you know, these problems, but they understood the history that the Junta have specifically with road maintenance. And it took my girlfriend at least half an hour to explain this one sign in Burmese to me. And I just thought that is phenomenal that someone can capture yes. that. And I, and I called a friend of mine, I explained this to him and he, he said back to me, like, that is amazing. Like it would have meant nothing to me before, but now you've explained that that's really cool. So I, it just occurred to me like, well, the Burmese are making brilliant, brilliant signs, brilliant content that can be explained to be by natives that I, as an English speaker can then convey in a, in a form that is, is easily understandable to, to Westerners who are familiar with Western culture. And, and that can allow them to engage with the content that the Burmese are making and can allow them to understand the history and the people and the ideas that they have while also giving them an insight into the actual struggle itself and, and what it means for them. And so I started the page and I started putting up content and I have no idea how to do social media marketing. I, I have absolutely no idea how any of this stuff works, um, <laughs> as May can tell you. So not long after I, I reached out to a friend and I said, look, this is, I, I'm really interested in this project. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing, but I'm afraid that it's not going to be successful because the point is just getting the message out. So he, he right. recommended May to me uh, and she came in and she's significantly more skilled. So she can, she can explain that, but she's at this point solely responsible for running the Instagram, solely responsible for running the Twitter page. 
um, she's she's putting up memes and explaining. She she did a very good uh, meme that uh, your your listeners are probably going to be interested in with with regards to um, turning the the offering bowl upside down and, and the symbolism behind that. Yeah, um, we'll actually which we we'll actually use. have you guys explain yeah. a few memes like you just did. You did one just now, great, and we can go into a few of your yeah. favorites um, and the roles that they play. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I've got the page open in front of me right now. We can scroll through as many as we need. But yeah, right. so she, I mean, she can take him from there. But she's been um, so she's been a phenomenal help in in you know helping me to know how many posts is a good number and how to use hashtags effectively. And 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 ever since she joined, I don't know how, but uh, I'm looking at the metrics of the page, and it's just absolutely started skyrocketing. So whatever she's doing, she's doing it well. But uh, I think great. she can explain in more detail. Yeah, and may yeah, if, if you heard about this through a mutual friend, and and. What's interesting about it to you and what role do you think the the memes play in the protests and what, I mean, you've already talked about how they play a role in culture already. What particular role do they play in the protest and what's your interest in, in helping share the, the, you know, the, the memes themselves and their meanings to a wider audience? Definitely. So, um, when I was sort of offered, um, I was asked if I was interested in helping um, the page. I sort of asked, like, "Oh, what's the what's the reason about around the page? Like, to to explain these memes?" And I remember seeing a tweet that um, that a foreign person has, has tweeted about um, about the um, Burmese protests, and she just simply tweeted a. Um, a couple of protesters holding English signs, and she just simply tweeted um, to bring attention to the protest. But there's been um, retweets and um, replies to it, um, simply saying that there is no way that um, these people are protesting in English, just as um, Brad has previously mentioned. And that sort of sparked, I guess, an anger inside me and the like the the, the misunderstanding. The misunderstanding, I wanted to explain what was going on and how we are, um, we can actually uh, make intellectual memes and intellectual protest signs um, that just hold a lot of value and a lot of meaning to them. And I think that sort of inspired me to help with the page as well. And I've I've I went through the page when I first um, joined, and I think um, that uh, I think the same um, sign that Brad previously mentioned is also one of my favorite. And there's another thing that really um, really interested me uh, that really interested me, um, and that was the Me, that's the first post that Brad made, uh, and that basically means I will not be like a short person, like a short shorty slave. Um, it's a protest sign that that's pretty popular. And uh -huh. basically, uh, it's basically a play on the words that would um, that be uh, that is like can be that or can be can be basically means like I like I am his slave and Tujoma can be basically means I will not be his slave. Um, this was widely used in the uh, 
in the colonial era of being the British um, British slaves um, as to what colonialism uh, colonialism is to us. It's a phrase that's used um, in order to um, highlight what being under a colonial rule is like and to in um, and to instill um, the feeling of um, liberating like the to perhaps um, transpire liberation. Well, the irony there, right, is that the, the army always claims that they are the protectors of Myanmar against that kind of thing. And now that whole thing is being flipped around on them where they're becoming the force that the people need protection from. Absolutely, absolutely. They um, love the saying called um, which basically means they're the father and mother of the nation and they and in a lot of their propaganda you can see that um one of the main um propaganda points that they like to make is that they're the protector of the nation and they're the the reason that the nation is still unionized and that they are opposed to um foreign forces that's been trying to uh trying to break away the um, the unity of the people, the unity of the different ethnicity, ethnic groups. Right. And that's, so, and so the irony here that's is also the big that irony. <laughs> you know, the irony itself is now they are the dividers of the people. And it's, it's not the different ethnic minorities. It's all just the non-army people and then the army. The, the big divide is internal, and they're the ones that actually seem to have caused it this time. So that which they're trying to protect you from, they're actually uh, inflicting upon uh, upon the people. Their whole purpose is is supposed to be this, and actually they're <laughs> and protecting you from that, and they are, they have become that that they are supposed to protect you from. Um, and in the, in a sense that that saying that meme captures that. Absolutely. Um... The meme also like highlights how the Domino was um, created to free us from um, the British rule. And that phrase was widely used then. And now we're trying to free ourselves from Domino's rule by using the phrase. And yeah. the fact that people like to play on uh, Mia Lang's height, the commander in chief's height is um, it's pretty fascinating. The bujo, like it's it's it really rhymes as well, um, and people love to make fun of his height. He's short. Supposedly, I do not believe that he's under five feet, but people like to say that he's four eight just to get back at him. Um, right, right. And, and I've. I've seen people refer to him, him as like five eight, like literally as like lady shit as um, to him, and that's one of um, the many things that would need explaining. Um, perhaps, but there, I mean, there are a lot of mm-hmm. variations on that. Like, so even when you were talking about Bujo um, uh, Makambi, like mm-hmm. Bu in Burmese just means like 
Sure. Sure. Right. So that that's become his name now. Um, Bu or or Jabu, like short guy. And I think there was a meme early on where where he's standing by. It's a cartoon of him standing behind the podium wearing high heeled shoes. And the origin of this is that when Aung San Suu Kyi was was arrested, allegedly her high heeled shoes were confiscated by the police. Um, which, in fairness to them, is not an unusual practice. High heeled shoes and belts are, are typically taken from people who are detained because they can be used for suicide and things like that. But the the joke that spread immediately was that um, Mina Halai was was ordering the police to steal her high heeled shoes because he wanted them so he could look taller when he gives his his speech, and uh, and so he started getting um, called Daupinatuko, um, uh, uh, like uh, the high heeled uh, shoe thief, you know. Little things like that, like, or, you know, how tall, how tall are different world leaders and they'll have a list of different world leaders with their heights and you'll have Minao lying and it's just like, I don't know, how tall is Yoda? Like, so it's, it, you know, is it true? Don't know, don't care. But it's something that everybody enjoys and so, it, it brings a sense of solidarity right. and happiness. So, may people, I'd like so. to, I'd like to move back to the, the memes and the, also the, um, the, the signs in English because because there is still something else there. There's the memes themselves, which are, are double entendres uh, and serve a certain role uh, culturally and emotionally for the Burmese people, or sorry, the Myanmar people. And and there's is also that sense that what what do you think the role of of the English signs are for those outside that are reading them? They're being misunderstood. Is there a, is there a reason to? Is there something that would Burmese people want from the people reading the signs in English? I believe the question is um, why we're using the English um, signs as well. Like, yes. Okay, so I think this is to highlight to the world about what's happening and what we're going through. Um, I also have noticed a lot of memes, um, sign, a protest signs that are memes um, that's been widely used as well. And I think this is due to the fact that um, a lot of the younger generation has grown up with internet to the world. Um, they've had access to the world. They've had access to memes, um, memes in English. They've been um, they've been um, exchanging these uh, English memes and they've been making these English memes for quite a while. And when the coup happened and when it was when they were out to protest, I think this is something that they would like to share with their foreign counterparts about what they're going through, through memes and through these signs. Um, especially those memes um, that we are this, we are the Generation Z and we are the younger generation and we've got grown up with memes. Um, a lot of um, a lot of our social life is just sharing memes, making memes. And I think for us, it's a way of trying to portray our fight and our feelings and the struggle and what we want through memes and those are just memes. Um, the signs in English are 
to highlight to the international community. Um, we live in the decade where anything could be uploaded in seconds, anything could be shared worldwide within seconds. And I think that is to attract attention. You can see, especially with these signs, these English signs are that they're very bright um, so that it can catch the eye easily. You can see that especially that these memes are used to protest outside embassies and stuff as well. So these are to um, basically signal what's going on and what, what our message is. Right. I mean, many and of these signs have been directed at the UN specifically, uh, right. or directed at, at people uh, like uh, Biden or like Boris Johnson or, or any other sort of internationally renowned statesman um, that, that the Burmese people think would, would want to take up the fight for democracy. Um, so it's it's not just about reaching the the Western audience generally. Some of them are, are really directly appealing to to international organizations and to and to global powers for for intervention and for aid. And to also um, and to also um, criticize countries that's been saying that it's an internal problem. Um, mm. I've seen protest signs. I've seen protests outside the Chinese embassy. And there were signs saying that give us seafood, um, which was a response to the um, <laughs> the Chinese embassy, um, which, which stated that uh, the flight from Kuming, uh, which came in um, at midnight, was full of seafood. So. Uh, for those who are not familiar, Kunming is the capital of a landlocked province, and seafood is not a notable export. Should just point that out. And so, what's the belief about what what came in that plane? Um, so, I actually have reasonably but... reliable information regarding that. There were a lot of conspiracy theories. Some people said it was Chinese mercenaries. Some people said it was a IT setup for a great wall of uh, you know great internet firewall. But I have indirect information from within the military that that told me that it's actually a riot control gear. And after the flights from Kunming landed, uh, people started seeing airsoft rifles. Uh, that the Burmese police have not traditionally used, and uh, modernized uh, riot shields, which the Burmese police did not previously have access to, and uh, you know a lot of a lot of uh, riot dispersal, non-lethal riot dispersal equipment, which the Burmese police force was not particularly well equipped to handle. Uh, so the belief is that the Chinese are doing that sort of as a balancing act, you know, to to donate a little bit to the to the junta, saying like, yeah, sure, fine, we'll help you out but donating non-lethal things so that they give them an opportunity to to uh, control the protests without murdering people in the streets. Obviously, that did not pan out appropriately, but that is generally understood to be the thing. And also on the, on the topic of protesting against China, um, it's important to note that they the day after the coup happened, uh, Chinese state media referred to the coup as a cabinet reshuffle. Uh, and they made no sort of mention of the fact that there was a, a violent, forceful overthrow of an elected government. They just said, oh, the, the ministries have shifted around, but that's fine. So, yeah, that was a thing. And back to the memes, um, I saw one. I, I don't know if it's really a meme, but it's like you have this one on your page, this picture of uh, it looks like two policemen uh, taking a, a trunk of money from a temple from a, uh, sorry, yeah. I'm in Thailand, we call them temples here, but mm -hmm. from a, from a, um, 
Pagoda, Pagoda. Monastery, right? Pagoda. Um, and, yeah. and then there's also the circled shoes that's saying these are these are actually army officers dressed as policemen. But but yeah, like what yeah, what was the choice to put that on the page and what's the meaning there and and uh yeah. Um Tell me so actually I want one. to talk about where that photograph came from. Um because it's not it's not certain where that photograph came from. And there have been different theories about it. I had some post, someone post on the page saying, oh, it's a, they heard that it was a bank. And um, so I actually, I actually followed up on that because I thought, okay, we have to research this. If you look at the photograph itself, in, in the background by the door where the police have entered, you'll actually see um, ornamental umbrellas, the, the typical style that you would buy in a pagoda. Uh, and the architecture makes it clear that this is a very large, uh, old-style building. So it is it is definitely some sort of religious temple. We can't definitely confirm it, but from the view, this doesn't just appear to be some temple. This appears to be the West Colonnade of Shwedagon Pagoda, um, with the door being one of the side entrances of the colonnade entering onto the, the car park. So the 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 columns the the green based columns with the gold leaf on top and the the rose tiling on the on the ground they all match the the typical decor that you would expect in Schwedegon so it's it's very possible that this was the west colonnade of Schwedegon or at least another significantly sized pagoda somewhere in the country right um, yeah and what may perhaps you could answer this what effect does that have on the people you know i mean not that 100 percent of the population is buddhist but and obviously the majority there is buddhist what's the when when the people the civilians when they see that what what's the um yeah what's the response i i am a buddhist but i'm not particularly religious um, but right. that did incite some form of perhaps anger inside me. I wasn't surprised, but I do believe that it's something. It's the land that they're going to um, that they would steal from steal from religious um, buildings or that they would disrespect um Shredogon Bagoda is perhaps the most respected Bagoda in Myanmar that they would go to lands as much as stealing from the Bagoda itself. Right. I think after 20, um, 2007, I can't say I'm surprised. I Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of what do you think if you ask the army, I mean, you couldn't do this, but if you actually went around and asked the army, look, what percentage of them do you think are Buddhist? Is it high? I would say the majority of it. I, uh -huh. you I, think they'd be like you though, where they're, 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 they're uh, Buddhist, but they're not, do you think they're actually religious? Like, do you think that they actually think that they're, they're Buddhists? I think for them, um, I, I cannot speak for sure, um, but I think for them, it's the order and it's their, um, it's their, it's their boss that comes before religion, even if they are religious. Right. Well, you see, even like the generals are, you know, they go to, they go to, uh, 
some of the highest monks in the country. And, and, and so there's, and there's pictures of this. And even like after the coup, there was this quite, this picture went around. I'm just curious, like how, how does that, how, I think it confuses a lot of outsiders, especially those that are also Buddhists that actually practice like meditation and are, and, and study the scriptures and are actually quite devoutly Buddhist. How, how a mind could consider itself a Buddhist and then also be able to organize and inflict like incredible harm, including like murder and, and actually be a part of a terrorist organization against its own people and still like feel comfortable inside somehow, not only calling yourself a Buddha, a Buddhist, but showing up at a temple and making offerings. And, and uh, yeah, I'm curious about that. I'm also curious about like what, whether you're religious or not, what do you think the role should be in, in this, um, in this particular uh, uh, catastrophe um, of monks? Like, what would you like to see? What do you see? You know, we do see monks on both sides, right? We see the, there's uh, monks in, in Mandalay, for example, are actually part of the, and when I say the word nationalist here, I don't mean the way you meant it back when you were talking about nationalist then means Bamar and non-Muslim and, you know, like non-interference of any foreign, very much aligned with the army, actually, that kind of nationalism. There's monks that are severely into, they were, it seems like they were supporting like the atrocities that happened in Muslim villages and with this, but in regards to like alignment with the army or alignment with the protests, like what, as a Buddhist, like, what would you, what do you expect? What do you, and what do you think other Myanmar people actually expect of their monks? The ones that are Buddhist. Before I answer that question, can I like point out the irony? Um, that after the coup, a few days after the coup, um, before the Dhammadol information page got taken down, they posted a series of photos of um, soldiers cleaning up the, um, the pagodas for reopening. And uh -huh. people even made jokes that they're doing this in order to have access to um, the, the, the pagodas, like um, the pagodas bank um, right. the, the Goda's money. Um, I think the irony of like posting these pictures and then um, reportedly um, taking away um, taking away money from the Goda is is just very stark. Um, to answer your question. Um, For me, I cannot speak for all the Buddhists um, and how and what they're expecting. But for me personally, I would not, I would definitely not like to see, um, I did not like um, the nationalistic Buddhist, uh, the nationalistic monks. I think it goes in the way of the teaching of Buddha. And especially those where very obviously Islamophobic and those where um, almost blindly nationalistic. With the current coup, I could also see that there are a few of the monks who has been siding with the military 
and those that's been going against, I do believe that it is okay for the monks to not be involved in the whole political hearsay, but I do believe um, them play um, them standing with the people standing for the common good so to speak is what i would expect of them to do but those are not strong expectations right especially after um 2007 i would not like to see what happened happen again Right. I think a lot of our audience is shocked that anyone that's breaking the first precept of killing, and especially at this level of like killing human lives, could ever turn around and call themselves a Buddhist of any way, of any sort. And so I, I think that there's a kind of a shock. And I, I wonder if that shocks uh, Myanmar people in the same way or not. Like, um, yeah. How, how does that sit with, with you? Definitely. I like um I've been taught since I was young that to respect the monk and um the monk is in uh, the monk is one of the five um uh one of the three Yedana that um Yedana Dongba. How would you translate that? Would they be like the three sacred people or the three venerated people? Yes. Yeah, that that we're bound to respect no matter what. That would be the Buddha, um, the Dhamma, and the monks. I feel like I'm not translating that right. Anyways, um, and that I was also taught to respect the rope of the monk right um above anything else um and i've seen um fathers pay homage to their sons when they're monks and this is um this is something that that shocked me as a little girl because uh parents are also the people that we hold with utmost respect and the right. fact that the monks come above that is something that's been distilled into me. And to see these soldiers um, beat up and kill monks has been a horrible, horrible sight. And I, I believe that a lot of the people who saw those and who, who has heard about those have stopped considering these um, these offenders as Buddhists in general. Right. And what about the monks and, that are actually siding with the the these brutal terrorist forces of the army, like? How, is it getting those, harder and harder to to respect the robes when when the robes absolutely. are engaged in something absolutely. so heinous? Absolutely. Um, 
my parents are extremely religious and I've heard my dad um, talk very badly about Wiradu. Um, he absolutely, yeah. despite him, he absolutely hates so, him. And so for those, the, the pronunciation is Wiratu, right? Am I saying it right? It's the, for, for the listeners, if you don't know this monk, it's the one that was on Time Magazine and they were asking the questions like, you know, is there, a, is this a, you know, is this a form of terrorism in Buddhism? Uh, and his picture was on the, on the front of Time Magazine a few years back. And so this is not famous in a good way, but an infamous um, uh, monastic uh, here in, uh, in Myanmar. Some actually claim he's, he's def- defeated himself by encouraging killing. Um, that's one of the five things monks are not allowed to do is to kill or encourage others to kill. If upon encouraging someone to kill, that someone dies because of that, uh, is killed because of that, then, then that would be defeat. So some actually contest whether he's actually a monk anymore or not. Because you don't have to get dethro- de- de- disrobed by anyone. There's no formal ceremony. As soon as you do that act, then you're, um, you're, you're no longer a monk at that very moment. And so, uh, anyways, I just thought I'd throw that in there. But yeah, sorry, I just wanted to give some context about who you're talking about. Yeah, so about who we are too. Absolutely. Um, I think a lot of people are claiming that as well. Um, you see people um, posting um, pictures about these moms who's been supporting the military or anything like that. And they will call them fake monks and that they're no longer monks and that they're just bald people in robes. Um, right. I, I think, um, especially with the younger generation who are way less religious, they've been very outspoken about these like monks siding with the military. Um, even my religious parents are, they really, really despite um, Uyadu back when he was very prominent, I guess he had a following and that sort of disgusted me. That's right. And your parents were also opposed to him. Is that what you're saying? Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. I know that a lot of people that I came into contact with opposed him. Um, a lot, like many of the, um, many of my friends hate him and they would make um, memes and they would just make fun of him. Really? Wow. Yes. Pretty... There's actually a very famous meme template with him. <laughs> I'm not surprised people... <laughs> I... I'm not surprised people feel that way. I'm surprised people that are they're actually going to the level of publicly expressing that. Um, and at the same time, it's totally understandable. I don't personally find it's it's. Um, I, I'll let me back up a second. I think I think the monks that are participating in this um, are in in the name of trying to protect the sasana. The sasana is the the, te- the teaching, right? The, the Buddhist teaching is supposed to last for as long as possible, and you don't want to do anything to harm and deteriorate the teaching. And actually, in the name of saying that they're protecting it, they are actually harming it. And that's that's clear to see. We were, t- we were talking yesterday, maybe you can speak on this a little bit too. There, there seems to be, a, it's harder and harder to respect the the monastic tradition and the, and the Buddhist tradition when when the monastics are acting this way how do you how do you see that it, I mean it sounds like it sounds like uh, I don't know how you how do you feel about it and, and what do you see and feel around you 
from other people? I, I personally um, believe that there are um, monks who do practice um, real um, dhavana. Um, right. But there are um, a few that have been um, really, really pushing forward this um, national nationalism narrative that um, they, that we are to protect um, the Tadana and that in order to um, let Buddhism drive, um, we must hate other religions and we must be opposed to um, other religion and other be other foreign people, so to speak. And I think these narratives are not pushed by the majority, um, but by a few of the majority, but they've been given um, reasonable support and a reasonable voice that they've been heard louder than a lot of the um, other monks who do practice um, real tadana and are um, what people would call real monks. It seemed like I'd like to, I'd like to ask you this question. It seemed like a few years ago that it was a lot easier for like the kind of the common person in Myanmar to actually align with that form of nationalism. And that's different than the patriotism and nationalism that you talked about at the beginning of this interview. And I had I had said yesterday that I, I think that opportunity is lost. I don't think that could ever happen in 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 this generation, in, in these times. It would take another 20, 30 years before you could fool people again. But what do you think? Like, do you think what's your sense of of the people now? Like and and like as far as what's the majority's relationship with that form of nationalism that comes from Uwiratu and, and uh, Mabata and that whole group? I it was popular. It was just, then. it was popular just a few years ago, but like what, what, what state is that in now? How do people hold that in their minds, in their hearts? I think with the majority of people, um, those who, I believe has blindly believed in this form of nationalism or has practiced this form of nationalism or um, even thought that this nationalism um, was the only way to be nationalistic. Um, I think a lot have, perhaps I do hope what I say is true, that change um, quite these days. Um, I cannot speak for the majority of the people. I think this is a sensitive topic that I have not yet discussed with um, a lot of the older um, generation of people. I believe right. that my parents are the exception. So um, my parents have been sort of opposed to them ever since the start. So I cannot... Right, right say for how the um, religious, uh, very religious, um, strictly religious Buddhists are feeling towards it. But for the younger generation, I believe it just pushed them further away 
if they haven't identified with it. And even there are also the young people who have strongly withhold this value. And from the younger people that I've been seeing, they've been um, really, really, really regretful of the views that they've held. And they've been really, um, they've basically opened their eyes um, on how it really is. Right. So it did seem like to me that in the in the early days of that movement, the young people, even though they weren't religious and, and they weren't necessarily aligned with Mabata or or the monks on the religious side of it, but they liked the power of that form of nationalism a few years ago. And it, um, and what I hear you say now is that sentiment amongst that group of people has changed. Uh, is that do I hear that right, or or is there more to it? I believe that's true. <laughs> I hope it's true as well. Um, from what I'm seeing, it's the case, but I really hope it's true. I mean, I'm glad to hear it. And I'll be honest too, I, that's really what I want to hear. I mean, <laughs> um, and I, I, I didn't want to force an answer, but yeah, I was just hope, I'm kind of hoping that like that uh, I could see the conditions and I could see the, all the reasons why that, that, that tide was rising. Um, but I, I, I think one of the silver linings of this horrible, of these, this horrible last month is that that might be dead. Like the hardcore will still back that idea of nationalism. But I think the, the, the other people in the general population that moved that way for that time, for all the reasons and conditions that were there, I'm hoping that that's, that's done. Those conditions won't exist. Like, it sounds like you're saying you just said a few minutes ago that like people can the young people see more clearly now what was going on there and they're not going to fall for that again. Yeah, I would. I, I can only hope that's true. I, <laughs> uh, I, I just think it's so well. poisonous. But it, it does sound like it. It does sound like um, there's a, a change there. Uh, I want to return I mean, back just, to uh, oh, an, an idea of um, we had talked about the the monastics possible role in um in the in the uh, this uh this protest this strike against this terrorist army and uh brad you had talked about like the idea of turning the bowl and is there a meme about that and and then like you had something to say there and that would be yeah like as an official act not a meme there is a a, a gesture in in Myanmar Buddhism, that when someone makes you an offer, if I, I can't remember where it comes from in the in the vinya, but like turning your bowl over is is a symbol of of rejecting the offer uh, of someone. Which, if it's a if it's a good human being in good standing, that would be a huge offense, and that would be what would be like the equivalent of a sin. But like w- with certain people. It's actually appropriate, and so uh, there was. There's always that that possibility that uh, when someone that is uh, evil, so to speak, or or you know, un, extremely unwholesome, uh, mm. or, or or like the the money being donated is actually d- blood money or dirty money that you can. I mean, monks shouldn't be accepting money anyways. But like just as an example, things that came from wrong means um, should not be accepted. And so um, there's always yeah. an opportunity to, to turn the bowl. So that's kind of the background of it. Like 
So, um, yeah, it, the, does your website, am I correct in remembering that your website has a, a meme about that? You certainly see people on we, the streets in the marches and someone in the front actually holding bulls upside down. Like we definitely have one. Um, and, uh, and we can talk about that. Although that specific meme, uh, was, was made by me. And she had to explain uh, the, <laughs> okay. the details of it too, because I understood the concept, I understood the the tradition, uh, but I didn't understand the sort of uh, karmic uh, logic behind it, the logistics of it. The the just one thing I did want to say on on Mabata uh, quickly was that I sure. do remember back in about two thousand seventeen, two thousand eighteen, some sometime then, when Mabata actually went to Pabedan. And if you don't know Pabedan, it's it's in the heart of downtown in Yangon, but it's a very Muslim area. And they went to Pabedan specifically for the purpose of inciting a riot. And I remember the, getting the report that actual monks of Mabata had been arrested by the police for, for incitement to riot as a result of that. So, wow. so I just wanted to point out that even, even a few years back, um, even the police themselves, the Burmese police, viewed Mabata to be so extremist that they, they felt okay physically arresting a monk for for what Mabata was was doing, uh, and I remember being very shocked reading that, thinking, "Wow, that's that's a pretty significant uh, gesture for the police force to make." Absolutely, that they're willing to do that to a monk. Um, but yeah, we 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 definitely have that uh, meme. But I think I think May might be better positioned to uh to go into the depths of it. So yes, um, so I actually made a post about the bait mouth. Um, it's something that's been heard a lot um, in the protests. Um, the leader would scream the bait the bait and everyone would say mao mao, which basically means um, overturning um, the ombo. And it does hold um, a significance um, to the Burmese, uh, to the Burmese Buddhists. Um, Especially with the act of turning over, um, overturning the alms bowl, um, I have heard stories of um, the monks doing that way back in the colonial period when they were opposed to the colonial rule, and the simple act of turning, um, overturning the alms bowl, um, basically is a statement that the offense is so big and so horrible that the monk will not accept um, anything from said offender and that they will not serve, um, that the offender is not worthy to be to be served. Um, the word, I believe, has evolved over the time. Um, we call the um, 28 um, protests as a debate G, which is, which the word itself, like the base mouth, became the, the act of protesting or the act of defiance itself for the layperson. Right. So um, when we say the Beiji, we meant like a huge, like a general strike, a big protest, um, like the one we had on the 8th, 28th, and we had one 
previously on the 22nd, I believe. Um, those we refer to as the Beiti. Um, I think the word now have a significant meaning to it. I'm not sure whether that was sort of covered. It was the, the idea that this is when, when May was explaining it to me, she was saying that the, the, the concept was the, the person is not fit to be served, which felt very strange to me because the person is literally giving food to the monks. So surely, logically, it would mean the person is not fit to serve the monk and that the monk is not fit to be served, but the actual literal meaning was reversed. And so we discussed it as it transpired. The point was, when the the layman gives food to the monk, by having done that, the layman receives karma. And so by by refusing the donation of the layman, the monk is also refusing to allow himself to become a vessel for the karma to be given to to someone who the monk knows is undeserving of that. So there is that two-directional element to it. So the monk is basically saying, I would rather starve than let you have good karma because you don't deserve it. Right. They're denying, they're denying the merit-making. Merit-making is huge, right? So yeah. that's the comma, right, through making merit. And so in a, in a culture like Myanmar and Thailand, if, you, if someone's not allowed to make merit, that's like, it's like you may as well like go, go to hell immediately because <laughs> there's been no chance for you because yeah. most people do not meditate. They do not try to liberate themselves. They try to um, boost up their spiritual standing so to speak by making merit and hopefully they'll have a better life next time and maybe next time they'll be able to be liberated you take that away from someone not because of your own choice or judgment but based on that the behavior is so bad so defiled that that you no longer accept uh dana from them donation from them Um, so they can no longer make merit that way that's a huge huge gesture I mean, it would make a pariah of someone in a in a society under normal, under normal circumstances. circumstances yeah. uh, if if someone if someone so high standing as a monk were to say this individual is unworthy, I mean, who in their right mind would want to associate with that person right. after that? So, um, is there a, a meme around this? Is we were talking about uh, that you had created a, a meme with this? May is is it? Uh, is there more to explain with that, or is it? Did our explanation kind of cover the meaning of the meme, or? I, I believe it did. Um, it's not, I believe it's not a meme. It's just, um, it's, it's also, it's, it's a protest slogan that people use. Right, okay. And yeah, yeah. Um, the post was basically an explanation of that. And also to keep in mind that the, um, the Danga, like, um, they basically are doing this to uphold the um um to uphold the basic rules of conduct and morality that's been laid by the buddhist teachings and that by doing um this gesture they're they're announcing that um this this offender um could um is uh, this offender's actions are resulting in great suffering for all a lot of the um a lot of the other lay people and that by interjecting with this gesture um the sangha could um 
perhaps help in a way. Right, right. That's that is also an ultimate um, gesture because I believe that Zenda are um, supposed to be withholding their um, their political beliefs from their they're seen as calm and collected and not be interjecting into political debate. Or political office as well, right? Definitely. Or, or even political, political influence. Yeah. They're not supposed to, you know, like that could cause great harm, you know, to be involved in politics in such a way that has a result that favors some people and harms other people. And that's just not the duty of a monk, as I understood it when I was a monk. Um, however, like when, and this is my personal opinion, when, when, when anyone, including monks and nuns, when, when you see, I mean, in the name of politics, you can see things that are just like harm, you know, harm is like going out and killing people. Or, I mean, it just, or there is something to say. It, it, I, I don't think it has to mean silence. Um, and it certainly can mean standing up for what is wholesome and what is right and what is skillful for the mind um, and causing harm to a, a lot of people, a great suffering or small or large, you know, like when you encounter it, you know, it's, it's not being apolitical does not mean not standing up for what's right. And there's different ways to do that. And there's skillful and unskillful ways to do that. Someone that has a good mind can find a more skillful way to engage in, in, in trying to influence people towards being more skillful and less harming of others. And so I think those lines get blurred sometimes. Um, yeah, I didn't know that the the just the the words themselves actually derived from that the turning of the bull that actually meant the, the protest of the people towards some heinous gesture, and that certainly fits. It's more than just a gesture, right? The the military coup, you know, a, a terrorist overtake. Yeah, go I ahead. Mean, interestingly, may may found the uh, the origin right, which, which in Burmese it, it doesn't sound quite right, but it actually the the term for this, the formal term for this, comes from Bali, um, which is the, the liturgical language of Buddhism in, in most right. of South and Southeast Asia. And in Bali, um, Patta means uh, offering bowl, and uh, Nikujana means upside down or face down or inverted. Uh, and so Patta Nikujana Kamma is literally bowl face down karma. And, and this is a Pali concept that has been literally calked so literal word for word translated into burmese as the benghang because i wanted to take a bit of a lateral step here because we've been talking about buddhism and the impact of buddhism on the burmese people and on the generals and so on and, and i think it might be uh, useful to sort of bring up what some people may not be aware of is that buddhism in burma is not i don't want to be disparaging but it, it, as is generally the case it's not quote-unquote pure buddhism you have pre-buddhist beliefs that continue to to live on. Um, so one of the characteristics of, of Burmese society is the continued belief in uh, nat, the sort of natural spirits in certain parts of yeah. the country. Um, but one of the other parts is uh, the bedinsea, the fortune tellers, yes. who in Western culture, you know, a fortune teller, th there are some stereotypes. You know, you have the negative stereotype of the old gypsy woman, or you have the charlatan, you know, on the TV show who who tells you over the phone what your lucky numbers are and things like that. 
But in, in Burmese society, uh, Bedinsei are generally viewed reasonably positively. And, and they, have, they have a reasonable amount of respect associated with them. What's interesting, though, is that um, some of these fortune tellers who work for the military are phenomenally powerful people. Uh, there was a fortune teller who died about three, four years ago, whose name was E.T., interestingly. Um, her income was estimated to be sitting at about $7 million a month, um, which is huge. But the, the high-ranking officers of the military are deeply, deeply invested in in uh, the supernatural and and numerology and astrology and uh, and all of these uh, traditional pre-Buddhist beliefs and and this is something that's been going back all the way to at least Nawin possibly before then I don't know uh, so I think when we talk about Buddhism and we talk about the generals doing things that would strike a Buddhist as deeply offensive and affronting I think it's worth noting that at least from my perspective and I'm speaking as an outsider I may be incorrect but from my perspective the generals and the high-ranking military officers do not exist in the same Buddhist bubble that the Burmese people exist in. They, they seem to be following a slightly weird, twisted, supernatural-oriented uh, belief system, and they seem to be very devoted to that, uh, to that belief system. So it, it's less shocking to me that they would transgress against a, a pagoda because from, from a strict Buddhist understanding, my, my understanding is all of this astrology, numerology, sort of casting curses stuff is anti, is not accepted by mainstream Buddhism anyway. Um, so they already seem to be transgressing to some degree. So it, it, I think it's more from their perspective, well, how far are we going to transgress in the interest of serving our alternative beliefs? But again, I'm speaking as an outsider. May might be able to shed better light on this. May, my question for you in that regard is like, are they separate? There's like Wixa and there's these fortune tellers. And, and uh, from my experience, which is limited, um, there's not a, a clear separation between Buddhism and, and those other arts or, and those other beliefs, um, certainly not the Nats, um, that it seems to be all blended together as far as I saw. There's like, there's like a lot of intersection. They're not exactly the same, but, but like, a lot of the wakes that consider themselves Buddhists and are treated a lot like monks in that regard, except that they have special powers and even in, in that regard are held higher than monks in some in some aspects. But but perhaps uh, I mean, maybe you, maybe you could correct me on that or, or just inform me more on 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 how you understand that or how you see that or what you know about that. Uh, I believe they've been blended pretty well as well. Um, you can see astrologers um, and certain fortune tellers um, with their offices or their um, um, offices like based in pagodas. Right. And um, you can also find monks who practice um, fortune telling, or um, or um, or as astrologers. Um, my mother's name has been renamed by actually by a monk who practiced astrology and told her that her name would not be fit for her, so he had her name changed. Um, we can see that it's all intertwined like, um, quite complexly, but um, as Brad has previously mentioned, there is also a sector which people, uh, which the um, common people would call outland, which would be referred to as 
perhaps dark magic or voodoo in a way um, right. that people perceive as um, something that's really separate from Buddhism and that's not that's not widely practiced as well and the people believe that these generals and the military do practice forms of these um this dark magic uh, especially with some of the um some of the um some of the astrologers and fortune tellers that they cons they've been consulting has um expressed um a knowledge of these dark magic uh, dark magic um, practices. Um, especially, um, it's interesting that um, recently they made an arrest of a quite popular dark magic practitioner, um, dark magic um, person. Um, and the person actually has been um, creating a curse on Mihalai and he was live streaming it and he was arrested um just immediately wow. and it just shows how um the military actually believes in dark magic this just showed the extent to what um dark magic that they believe in and i think this uh ensure people that uh, ensure people in their beliefs that the military do practice dark magic i can't say for sure but that's sort of what we believe that they do i mean we we did make a meme about this particular incident um the 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 person who was arrested uh goes by uh different names but uh the, the name that i have for him here is uh, uh Daya. and basically the curse that he, he cast a curse and and so i did a little bit of background research on this the curse that he cast has a, has a name, interestingly enough. It's the curse of Minnantu. And this curse appears in a very ancient inscription nearby the pagoda of Minnantu. And is a, it's ascribed to a, a queen of the Bagan period. Her name is not known. She's identified by her, by her father. But ultimately, it is believed that this particular curse, which was established to protect the pagoda, uh, remained because people were afraid of destroying the inscription because they were afraid of the curse, and that much later uh, there was a there was a statesman and an author whose name is uh, uh, Uponya Saleh Saleh Uponya, and he was murdered. But there is a belief that he was murdered because this particular curse was invoked. So the fortune teller actually invoked this particular curse of Minnantu, which a reasonable number of people are familiar with. And not long after that was live streamed. Uh, and, and there's a photo that people might, might have seen or might not have seen a series of kitchen knives uh, with candles on them in a circle around a central candle. Uh, that's from that live stream. And uh, Mina Lang's uh, grandson was born not long after and he, he actually has a, a heart defect and he's been taken to Thailand for, for medical treatment. And one of the responses to this news uh, from a lot of people was, the people's curse is working. So wow. whether they genuinely believe in it or whether they don't believe it, like they, I've seen someone question it. I've seen the, the idea raised that it may be so extreme that neither the people nor the military believe in these curses, but each one thinks that the other side does. And so they feel compelled to pretend that they believe in it in order to psychologically uh, impact the other side. 
But in, in any event, people who, you know, let's say a year ago would not really have thought too much about curses. They're now saying like, hey, screw it. If it works, it works. I don't care. The people's curse is working. It, it's bringing poor health to him. So there, there were rumors that after the curse was cast, uh, Mina Lang felt unwell um, and that he's been keeping a, a low profile uh, in part because he's afraid of of the curses. And, and to be sure, he has not made all that many public appearances since since that video went up so there is a, there is a bit of an interesting backstory to that particular curse and to and to that movement that i think it's kicked off in a in a slight sense but also i want to point out that it is believed by the burmese that um casting a curse for a bedinsea is a very dangerous and risky thing to do my understanding is that they have to go through extensive purification rituals to prevent the curse from rebounding and affecting them negatively because casting curses is, is something that's so inherently unethical and unholy um, that it brings inherent danger to themselves. So to anyone who genuinely believes in this sort of thing, the fact that someone is willing to cast a curse is itself taken as a very, uh, very serious gesture of determination because it's understood to come with great personal risk. Uh, so there, there's, case- there's quite a bit of there. Yep. In this case, it's actually being aimed at, at Min Aung Lang, right? Yes, correct. And so you're using dark magic to actually counter dark forces like that are harmful uh, to remove yes. evil from the world, so to speak, right? It's like a fire with fire. good and evil. Yeah. Right, right. Because, I mean, for, for those sorry, I was just gonna say, who, who are not familiar with it, Min um, like sorry, Ne um, Win, famously believed in numerology so much that he changed the currency to 45 and 90 because it was divisible by nine. And I knew about that. A lot of people knew about that. What I did not know is that he actually devalued all of the other notes uh, overnight without giving people any warning. So everyone's life savings was basically reduced to toilet paper overnight. Um, and, and he was so devout in, in this line of belief that he was willing to plunge millions and millions of people into abject poverty uh, to serve his numerological beliefs. So I, I think the degree to which the military believe in this sort of thing um, should not be understated. I, I think we do need to take that as a very serious element of their identity and their belief system. But it's interesting. It, it, could, it could represent um, a vulnerability, right? Because in a physical way... The, the leaders of the army are untouchable. Like it's unlikely that physically you would not easily be able to get to them to cause them any kind of harm, whether that was, you know, someone trying to assassinate or even just to like, just remove or capture, even if it wasn't violent, right? Physically mm-hmm. one way or the other, they actually are hard to reach, but this mix, if, um, of course there are protection spells as well. Right. But, uh, yes. but this makes them touchable, so to speak in a, in a, in a way of vulnerable, like a spell can be cast upon them. If they believe that, that represents um, uh, vulnerability. And, and this, I think, it comes into the what, what the Burmese are referring to increasingly as, as PSYOPs, uh, P-S-Y. Um, the, the mastermind behind a lot of this crackdown stuff is, uh, is a minister who goes by the name Chit Nain. Um, his name is is completely different too, but is absolutely synonymous to can love. Um, so there have been some puns made about that. Uh, but he's a prominent author, but also he's believed to be 
the guy sitting in the background saying, hey, let's let's mess with the people this way. Let's mess with the people that way. Let's, you know, hurt them emotionally or let's hurt them economically and do these things. And so people people are of the opinion that the government is trying to manipulate them psychologically. The government is trying to to get under their skin and make them afraid or make them scared or give them false hope in order to yes. to cut out their support from underneath. And so a lot of this sort of stuff, um, you know, casting curses on people who believe in curses, I think the Burmese people view it as just we're doing psyops back to the government. Well, you know, if they believe right. in curses, let's push on that pressure point. That that's fair's fair. Yeah. Wow. May and, you heard of any of that? Yeah, what do you think yes, about that? Yes. And also, um, I'm not sure if you've mentioned this on the page, but a lot of people believe that the number two is um very unlucky for the military. So this is one of the reasons why they did the two fives movement. It's in order to get back to um the 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 num the new uh the numerology that um Brad has previously mentioned. Um it's also it's also very fascinating that the um the army um the um battalions are, are actually named uh, using numerology as well. Um as um especially also the um, light infantry division that's been um, placed in uh, place to suppress the um, to suppress the pro uh, the protests they've been named um, using numerology and they they're also um, apparently been placed stri strategically using numerology as well wow that's the 33 and 77 I, those are the two infantry troops i've heard of the, the kind yes. of the, the, the mercenaries. 30, 33 is um ha, is also responsible for um the Rohingya crisis, yeah. I believe. Um the seventy seven is the one um is the one based in Bakul and they've also been um involved in a lot of um ethnic wars as well. And you're saying, what What if they were to call them two threes and two sevens? Would that make them mad that they, you're putting the two in there? There actually is um, an, a light infantry named 22, I believe. But I, uh, they are not named um, numeral, uh, numerologically. So I believe that 55 was... I, I cannot remember which um, battalion, uh, which division was the start of it. But um, they've been named not like in order. They've been given random um, numbers to them and double numbers to them, which is very interesting. And a lot of people believe that um, their base, uh, where they're based and um, the numbers, and especially now that um, Light Infantry um, 33 and 77 are widely used right now, is an indication that they're, they've been um, adhering to um, their numerology, um, the numerology. Wow. So on your Facebook page, like, you, it sounds like there's more than just memes, right? So it's it's memes and political political signs as well. Is it, Am I understanding that correctly, or is it limited more to memes? Um, political signs as well, I believe. As well, right. Yes, and right. also political yeah. slogans and what perhaps um, Brett, you could um, expand on that. 
the the origin of it was like the, at the very beginning it was just it was just posters that people were carrying with them like protest signs and the thing is like the page changed because I, I started the page on on 17th 18th of, of february now at that point yes there had been altercations there had been clashes but at that point the only deaths that had occurred were um uh, Miyato Tekain, who was shot in the back of the head in Naypyidaw by uh, a soldier in police uniform uh, with, with a 9mm Uzi. And uh, prior to that, there had also been a car accident, which it is believed were, was caused by the police. And so one of the, technically the first death associated with the protests is is that individual whose name disgracefully I've forgotten. I apologize for that. Um, but so up until that point, there, there had been reasonably few deaths and the clashes had not been extreme and therefore a lot of the protest content was a little bit light-hearted you know you had a lot of interesting scenes in yangon you had a lot of different cultural groups coming out and um there were you know drag queens protesting in in you know full glamour gear and um you know pride groups protesting and and you had like more visibility of for example muslim minorities saying things like our religions may be different but we will overthrow the dictatorship together uh, and we have a post about that on the page as well. So that that content was fine, but it, it it rapidly got dark. And I remember, you know, after um, uh, Wei Yantun, uh, it was a 16-year-old boy who was shot in the head with a, a 7.62 millimeter sniper round in, in Mandalay. Um, you know, when he died, the tone really changed. I mean, not, not just the page but i mean the the people that i'm talking to the burmese people like the you could feel the 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 depression in in hope and mood and and you know i you know people crying and things like that it, it was it was really 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 terrible and so you know the page started as like a very light-hearted hey here's a funny interesting meme that someone made i'll translate it and explain it but it it, it had rapidly changed to say like look this is stuff that's happening and, and this is a protest movement and here are some more strategic things that you need to understand about what's going on because you know I was definitely afraid that if if it's just let's have a laugh at this at this funny meme you know we might lose sight of the fact that that people are being murdered on a regular basis the the death toll for February um the official death toll is 23 for the month of February and and um, we, we put up a post, I think, uh, on, on the 1st of March, we put up a post saying, you know, these are the names of the 23 people who, who were killed. Um, you know, that's not meme content. That's not funny content. That's not entertaining content, but it's necessary to sometimes ground the page and, and remember that the point is to get the message out to the world generally, to the English speaking world, to the Western world and saying, the Burmese people are fighting and they're fighting for something very serious and and the fight is is not lighthearted and is not not easy so there there is there has increasingly been a, a shift away from the comedic content I still want to put up comedic content I still want to put up lighthearted content I still want to give people hope and and have have a bit of fun um you know there's a there's a, a one that I I put up a few days ago where uh, a police officer threw a flashbang grenade and it actually managed to hit another police officer in the head uh, in front of him, um, which, you know, people found reasonably entertaining. Just the ineptitude of, of the police in, in, in their operations, you know, put that sort of thing up. 
but increasingly, you know, a lot of people are, are getting tired. Uh, what we have to understand is that the, the CDM, the civil disobedience movement, it, it is starving people. It, it is refusing to go to work. If you refuse to go to work, you're refusing to get paid. And if you don't get paid, you can't buy food. There, there, are, there are plenty of very generous people who have some means who have decided to donate food daily uh, to the protesters, right? And one of the memes we put up earlier on was a, it, it was a meme based on an old advert for a super brand breakfast cereal, uh, which I've had. It is actually quite delicious. But, uh, you know, it's, it's the son who's come back from this very long journey and he sees his parents again and he honors them by bringing them, you know, super brand cereal. It's a very cheesy commercial. Uh, and they flipped it around a little bit. And in the version of the meme, he's bringing food that was donated to him from uh, from these donors because he's been protesting. So it was very clear to the Burmese context that, well, this is a son who's not just returned from a long journey. This is a son who's returned from a day of protesting and he's bringing food home to his family that was donated because they don't have any means to get food otherwise. And we have to understand that no matter how generous people are, the food you have is the food you have and not every person is going to get fed. Things are tough and people are sort of losing, losing hope and losing determination because when your stomach is grumbling, you tend to. And I do try in a lot of my posts to sort of remind people like, hey, the, the fact that the junta are stealing money from the pagoda, the fact that the police are stealing food from civilians to eat uh, is because they've run out of money as well. And in a lot of ways, this is, this is just a waiting game now. This is just who is going to crack first. And, you know, I'm telling people like, hey, you know, you could protest just as effectively by staying home. You know, you don't have to go into the, the street to demonstrate. Like the police have to be in the street all day in the hot sun. They're being given one meal a day. That's that's what they're being provided with. Their rations are being cut to a single meal a day. They are quite literally starving. They are stealing food from, from random civilians, from donation trucks, from... We've seen them stealing fresh fruit from a stall. We, I saw them stealing an entire uh, biryani stall. They picked up the stall and ran with it because they have no food to eat. Um, they have to be there anyway. You know, you can protest from the comfort of your own home with your aircon. And I was explaining this to someone and she said to me, no, like we're not protesting for the police. We're protesting for the other people in Yangon because if they don't see people in the streets protesting, they're going to think, oh, everyone else has given up. We have to go home or we have to go back to work and we have to just accept that, that we live under a military dictatorship again. So the protest movement has changed from showing opposition to the military and showing defiance to the forces and has become more a movement of showing continued energy and solidarity with the other protesters to say, no, we're, we're, we're pushing. And that's why the content has sort of changed to say like, hey, they're running out of money. Payday is the end of the month. It came and went, and I will bet my house that they did not get their paychecks. Or if they did, they didn't get even half of their paychecks. Um, they're stealing money. They're stealing food. They're desperate. And the police and the military units eventually are going to have to start giving up and walking off the job. Because why would you, why would you continue doing that if you're not getting fed and you're not getting paid. So I think that's why the content has been shifting a little bit to try and sort of reach out because most of the people on the page are actually Burmese. Interestingly, if you, if you look at a lot of the engagement, a lot of the, the likes and the comments we get, many of them are actually coming from Burmese people who appreciate that the page exists, but the page hasn't really made it that far out into the international sphere yet. We're hoping that it will. Um, but so, so in that way, it's, it's not just about saying, hey, the Burmese are doing this, let's tell the outside world. 
there's also a little bit of a feedback loop of knowing that some of this message is getting back to the Burmese people. So it's, it's about, in a sense, also being able to spread that information that I know a lot of people are are not receiving. I know a lot of Burmese people do not know that the that the police are desperate for money and for food, and they do not know how close a lot of these people are to just you know quitting the jobs, and they're going out and they and they're protesting even on days when they've been warned ahead of time. Like all indicators say that the police are going to live fire at, at protesters today. Do not go outside. It's, it's incredibly dangerous. But because they don't have access to this information, they think, oh, but we have to go out and risk our lives today because otherwise everything is lost. So I think I think that's why the, the content has slowly been changing. Uh, not in a nutshell, but yeah. And it, it it provides this this outward reach of communication, but it also has like a loop where it loops back around to to keep everyone in the loop of understanding uh, that that things are alive and things are actually growing and that so mm-hmm. it's a communication hub. It takes on a, a very pre- a, a peculiar and particular and, and interesting um, angle. It's 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 providing other roles, as you just described. And for me, it's also helped me to kind of appreciate the degree of um, of cleverness of of mm-hmm. of solidarity and community that's that's being expressed in this uh, this. Uh, fight against atrocity uh, against all odds and and, and so far, I, I it's been very inspiring and then you guys are uh this is your contribution to yeah um, and i mean we're trying to do the the videos as well the so good fight um, so to speak they're not they're not up yet i have to clarify that but we did get uh, one of them uh, edited today so it should be posted reasonably soon but we're, we're hoping to have a, a myanmar minute channel on youtube shorts just putting out one minute videos in english explaining Okay. Just one issue at a time. This is a thing that occurred. This is what you need to know. These are the visuals that are associated with that. Take this information and and go with it, sort of thing. So not deep journalism, not not deep explanation, but also not memes. It, that would be more just this is a thing that is occurring and you should be aware of it, sort of uh, content. So slightly different, basically. Like, yeah. Like data, basically about basically this is the yes. raw data. This is what's happening. You know, we're not interpreting anything. We're just giving you the, we're just exposing yeah, basically, yeah. what's happening. Well, I appreciate both of you. Thanks uh, for having us. I, I, I just Thank appreciate the people us. getting involved. And yeah, absolutely. Yes. May, I, I, I just, I know you're right there. Uh, things are basically right outside your door, right outside your neighborhood. I just I wish you, I wish you safety, but I also wish the whole country success, meaning the patriotism that you describe, you know, that the people, you know, the, the bulk of the of the country, the, the people actually have a government that represents them, that cares about them, and and that people have the freedom to 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 choose certain things and to oh, not thank live. You that's so hope. That's my hope. That's a hope as well. Um, thank you so much for having us and for giving us another platform to um, to basically um, push our fight against the coup. We, I really do appreciate it. Yes. And yeah, it's a it's a beautiful thing. Like there was no Facebook, you know. 30 years ago or whenever. Right. And there was no podcasting that. And so like, not only do these networks exist, but like, this is an example of how we can connect networks together and, and then grow like networks of networks um, to move information around and, and to, 
you know, to let people know what's going on. Absolutely. Um, I also wish Insight VMR a lot more success (laughs) giving karma back. (laughs) Well, thank you. (laughs) Yeah, we were trying to provide, yeah, provide voices to different angles on on different things. But this is, like I said before, um, to some of our, our listeners who are more dhamma oriented you know this is actually uh, inside myanmar's way to actually engage in the world when we see harm not just to present the idea of it but actually to do it and so so not all the content coming out recently has been about the dhamma so directly but it's living dhamma in the sense that that we're are trying to help a cause uh to prevent great harm um and this, uh, yeah, so this is our, our way of engaging. I believe you do want my background noise. It's eight, it's eight o'clock and people are beating pots and pans now. Uh-huh. <laughs> can, you pull, can you pull the microphone over to the window? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. I understand that this is an enormously difficult time for many people these days, myself included, and just the mere fact of staying informed is helping to keep a focus on this pertinent issue. And the only way that we can do our job of continuing to provide this content at this very critical time is through the support of generous donors, listeners like yourselves. So if you found this episode of value and would like to see more shows like this on the current crisis, please consider making a donation to support our efforts. Either monthly pledges or one-time donations are fully appreciated, and all funds go immediately into the production of more episodes like this one. Thank you deeply in advance, and best wishes at this time. If you would like to join in our mission to support those in Myanmar who are resisting the military coup, we welcome your contribution in any form, currency, or transfer method. Every cent goes immediately and directly to funding those local communities who need it most. Donations go to support such causes as the Civil Disobedience Movement, CDM, families of deceased victims, and the purchasing of protective equipment and medical supplies. Or if you prefer, you can earmark your donation to go directly to the guest you just heard on today's show. In order to facilitate this donation work, we have registered a new nonprofit called Better Burma for this express purpose. Any donation you give on our Insight Myanmar website is now directed to this fund. 
Alternatively, you can visit our new Better Burma website, which is betterburmaoneword.org, and donate directly there. In either case, your donation goes to the same cause, and both websites accept credit cards. You can also give via PayPal by going to paypal.me slash betterburma. Additionally, we can take donations through Patreon, Venmo, GoFundMe, and Cash App. Simply search Better Burma on each platform and you'll find our account. You can also visit either website for specific links to those respective accounts or email us at info at In all cases, that's Better Burma, one word, spelled B-E-T-T-E-R-B-U-R-M-A. If you would like to give in another way, please contact us. Thank you so much for your kind consideration. You've been listening to the Insight Myanmar podcast. We'd appreciate it very much if you could rate, review, and or share this podcast. Every little bit of feedback helps. You can also subscribe to the Insight Myanmar podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you get your podcasts to make sure you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. If you can't find our feed on your podcast player, please just let us know and we'll ensure it can be offered there in the future. Also, make sure to check out our website for a list of our complete episodes, including additional text, videos, and other information available at insightmyanmar.org. And I also invite you to take a look at our new nonprofit organization at betterburma.org. There was certainly a lot to talk about in this episode, and we'd like to encourage listeners to keep the discussion going. Make a post, request specific questions, and join in on discussions currently going on on the Insight Myanmar podcast Facebook group. You're also most welcome to follow our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter accounts by the same name. If you're not on social media, feel free to message us directly at info at insightmyanmar.org. Or if you'd like to start up a discussion group on another platform, let us know and we can share that form here. Finally, we're open to suggestions about guests or topics for future episodes. So if you have someone or something in mind, please do be in touch. We would like to take this time to thank everyone who made this podcast possible. Currently, our team consists of two sound engineers, Mike Bink and Martin Combs. There's, of course, Zach Hessler, content collaborator and part-time co-host. Ken Pransky helps with editing. And a special Mongolian volunteer who is asked to remain anonymous does our social media templates. In light of the ongoing crisis in Myanmar, a number of volunteers have stepped in to lend a hand as well. And so we'd like to take this time to appreciate their effort in our time of need. And we're always on the lookout for more volunteers during this critical time. So if you'd like to contribute, definitely let us know. We'd also like to thank everyone who has assisted us in arranging for the guests we've interviewed so far. And of course, we send a big thank you to the guests themselves for agreeing to come on and share such personal, powerful stories. Finally, we're immensely grateful for the donors who made this entire thing possible. We want to remind our listeners that the opinions expressed by our guests are their own and don't necessarily reflect the host or other podcast contributors. Please also note that as we are mainly a volunteer team, we do not have the capacity to fact check our guest interviews. By virtue of being invited on our show, there's a trust that they will be truthful and not misrepresent themselves or others. If you have any concerns about the statements made on this or other shows, please contact us. This recording is the exclusive right of Insight Myanmar podcast and may not be used without the expressed written permission of the podcast owner. 
which includes video, audio, written transcripts, or excerpts of any episodes. Also not meant to be used for commercial purposes. On the other hand, we're very open to collaboration. So if you have a particular idea in mind for sharing any of our podcasts or podcast-related information, please feel free to contact us with your proposal. If you would like to support our mission, we welcome your contribution. During this time of crisis, all donations now go towards supporting the protest movement in Myanmar through our new nonprofit, Better Burma. You may give by searching Better Burma on PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, GoFundMe, and Patreon, as well as via credit card at betterburma.org donation. You can also give right on our Insight Myanmar website as all donations given there are directed towards the same fund. And with that, we're off to work on the next show, so see you next episode.
Yeah!